Hi, everybody. This is Greg Harton. I'm the editorial page editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and we really appreciate you listening to our podcast today. Today, we are talking with Sheriff Tim Helder about the current discussions at Washington County to expand the county jail. Uh, right now, it can house about 700 inmates, and uh, the proposal as it stands uh, would uh, increase that to about 1,200. But the proposal has also met with some resistance at the quorum court. Uh, the 15 members of the quorum court have raised some questions, uh, as have members of the public, about some alternatives that we can use in Washington County to perhaps uh, not send people to jail. And so we wanted to talk to Sheriff Helder today about uh, some of those conversations going on at the, the courthouse and uh, see what his perspective was. So here's our interview. Today we are joined uh, by Rusty Turner, our editor here at the paper, and um, uh, welcome Rusty. And uh, uh, our guest, uh, Sheriff Tim Helder, he was elected sheriff in Washington County uh, back in January of 2005 which was right about the time that uh, uh, y'all were moving into a, uh, a, a new jail. Uh, uh, the old jail on College Avenue had about 240 space for 240 inmates. Uh, I think when it was originally built, it had space for like 80. Um, and so, you know, growth in the jail population has been a, a constant issue in Washington County. Um, and uh, we welcome you, Sheriff Helder, to the conversation today. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Greg. Glad here. to be here. Uh -huh. um, for several years now, uh, probably throughout your time as sheriff, but certainly over the last five years, you have been in front of the quorum court saying, we've got a problem. And I think you've referred to the jail as operating kind of in crisis mode. Um, help us to understand what what does crisis mode look like down at the jail? Yeah, well, for the immediate uh, definition of that, it's people sleeping on the floor. It's uh, conditions getting to a point to where the overcrowded uh, status causes the detainee population to uh, really act out, uh, whereas they wouldn't normally. I mean, I'd, obviously a certain percentage are going to act out, but when we have people sleeping on the floor, th this kind of creates an environment that's uh, it's hazardous for other detainees as well as our employees. Um, the federal government kind of dictates uh, what those conditions need to be like and this certainly doesn't meet that criteria. So um, that's kind of where we're at. We're busting at the seams. Uh, we've got Springdale Police Department has already put us on notice that they'll be closing the doors of their, albeit small jail, uh, next year. and. Um, even though we won't house everybody that, that comes through their doors, that's about 7,500 uh, inmates. I think about 1,500 to 2,000 are felons that we're already dealing with. So we're about 5,000 new folks are going to be coming through our doors on an annual basis. The, uh, so, so you're looking at overcrowding, and, and you've been in front of the quorum court talking to them about that. We've built a jail before. And it filled up. Mm -hmm. We've we built this jail. Mm -hmm. uh, cost about twenty four million dollars back in in '05. Um, the proposal that you're talking about right now is how much? About thirty eight million. Okay. And that would take care of uh, about five hundred to five hundred and fifty beds additional to what we have now. Okay. We and gave so an option. You know, whenever we were tasked by the quorum court that was setting in in '18 to uh, contract with the, the architect firm that we had used all the way back in 02 uh, to help design this facility. Um, they basically did a, a growth study and trends in Northwest Arkansas and gave multiple options uh, to the court. One, we could we could do the Band-Aid approach and, and do a smaller facility and then leave this problem for the next sheriff or the, the next at the latest or we could do this uh, approach at the 500 bed, which is probably a medium type approach, or we could go all the way to 750 beds and maybe take care of the issue for 25, 30 years. The court at that time decided they liked that kind of in the middle approach, 500 or so beds. Um, $38 million and, mm -hmm. and the proposal 
that has been discussed has been similar to what was done in, in <clears throat> early 2000s, which was a half-cent sales tax uh, uh, with, would it be split into two components of uh, two quarter cent sales taxes? Um, tell me how that would work. The way it was proposed by the bond council was half cent uh, construction bond or cost. And at the time the construction is paid for, it's done and paid for, the half cent would go away. So that would be one uh, ballot issue. Then there would be a quarter cent that would be ongoing maintenance and operation, similar to what we have now. Very similar, in fact. We've got a quarter cent that's on the books. This would make it, going forward, it would be a half cent total uh, op to help us offset operation maintenance. And then there was a quarter that was kind of a, a Hail Mary at the end of the year to try and address the radio system that, that we've got a real problem with right now with no potential funding out there. So that was added at, at the very end. It may very well be what caused uh, this not to be on the ballot by now. I think it kind of scared some of the, the JPs that it, it came in in the 11th hour and they weren't prepared to vote on it. But that, that quarter would pay for the infrastructure, new towers, anything that would it would cost for a uh, countywide uh, radio system. We, we really are in need of a radio system and we need one that we can communicate with other agencies uh, on a daily basis or in the event of an emergency. So. Those are the three ballot issues as, as they stand now. So um, I'll get fairly basic here. As sheriff, you operate the jail, but you really don't have any power to build a new jail. Um, you've got to go to the 15 members of the Washington County Quorum Court and convince them that it's the right thing to do, uh, to build a new, a new jail. Mm -hmm. um, I think you've told them before that you, you re really would rather not be asking them to do this. Yeah. Um, explain that a little bit. Well, I'm not any different than any other taxpayer uh, in that I live in Washington County. I've raised my family here. I've sent all my kids to school here. So I recognize the impact uh, what a, a new tax does to folks. But I also come from the side where I've been a civil servant my, all of my adult life. And I know that there's a certain cost attached to doing business, to providing services that are critical uh, to the lifestyle that we enjoy in Northwest Arkansas. So when I talk about not wanting to ask for this, it comes from that, that spot where I'm a citizen, but I'm also the sheriff. The other side of it that I don't like asking for it is, you know that whenever you ask for a tax and, and lo and behold, it gets passed and it gets built, guess what I've got to do? I've got to build the infrastructure. I've got to hire more employees and, and uh, selfishly. Uh, I love my employees, don't get me wrong. Uh, I feel like I'm leading in a, a family more than anything. But I'm at that stage in my life where when I deal with disciplinary issues, they, they really wear on me. And I know that with more employees, there's going to be more of that and there's more headaches involved. So that's kind of a selfish end of me not wanting it. But reality, Greg, is this, that we've got to do something. And, and I've, I've referred to this as well. Ultimately, the court's going to do what they're going to do, but I'm going to stay the course my message is not going to change, and it's going to be that guy, that lone voice crying in the wilderness. We've got to do this. You know, like it or not, we've got to do it. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. You know, the jail's overcrowded. You've got sleeping, people sleeping on the floors, which, mm -hmm. you know, the federal courts aren't going to like, obviously. Right. Uh, uh, what are your alternatives um, if, if, you're, if we're unable to find a way to, to expand the jail? Yeah, well... Then it gets it gets real dicey because guys look historically. Do you, do you all remember uh, we moved in in 05. Was it in 08 or 09 that we really were for all intents and purposes we were full back mm -hmm. then, and we were starting to have conversation way back then about this. That was mainly due to state prison backlog, and I mean we had upwards of 200 250 state prisoners in. So we worked with, you know, the state and we were able to get those numbers down. And then we've been able to uh, maintain a, a, a population number that we could live with. Now that doesn't just happen. We got very aggressive and I challenged my staff. We've got to be aggressive in how we manage our population. And we stayed the course this whole time. 
I'm trying to work my way around to what you said, but um, so it's not like we just woke up six months ago and went, oh my gosh, we're full. We got to start letting people go. So we have been to the tune of about 200 people a month. We've basically been letting them go. Uh, misdemeanors for sure, nonviolent offenders, low-end felons. Um, I've got a portion of my staff that one of the big uh, components of their job is to review our population on a daily basis, which ones have to stay, which ones need to bond, which ones are eligible, uh, perhaps, to have a discussion with the prosecutor's office to get a felony site and turn them back out on society. So 200 a month. Now, aside from that, there's this thing called uh, community service that we've been doing all along and have been very aggressive in assigning people to that program. Here again, they have to meet criteria, nonviolent. They have to be responsible enough to show up. They're the ones that you'll see out along the highways, maybe picking up trash or uh, helping to clean up uh, nonprofit type deals, cemeteries and things of that nature. So we've got a lot of programs in place already um, that have helped us to manage our numbers to date. What does that look like going forward, especially after Springdale closes? I can only tell you that 200 number is going to get bigger and bigger because I, I can't keep them. I mean, I absolutely cannot. And that's, that's not good for our society. That's not good for our community. Um, when I just start turning people loose that I think everybody else in the, in the community has an expectation that they're going to pay their debt and stay in jail for a time anyway. So, Hey, we were just ranked what the number one SEC town and, and, uh, because of our uh, living conditions and how great things are. I think I made a comment to my chairman, uh, of my committee the other day. And I said, what, I wonder what kind of ranking we're going to get if we have a sustained problem to where we have to really have more of a revolving door than we do now. If we start turning people out in society that need to be in jail, it's, it's going to change. Uh, I hope you all would agree with me that a significant part of our law enforcement function, um, the backbone of that is having somewhere to put somebody when they make an arrest. Well, what happens whenever they're arresting people and the guy that they're arresting or gal knows that as soon as they bring them to the jail, they're going to beat the officer out before he's done writing his report. It becomes ineffective, uh, that portion of our, of our program. So I don't think it looks good, but we're going to do whatever it takes. The, the, the jail, when it was built in 05, um, I remember seeing a story here recently when I was looking up some information on this that, you know, five, six months into that, the population was growing at a faster speed than uh, uh, it wasn't overcrowded, but there, there was an effort to keep the population low to kind of slowly work into the jail. Mm -hmm. and, and it was already building up some steam there. And like you say, you know, within just a few years, the, the overcrowding kind of took place. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, what's to say, you know, we build, uh, you know, this current proposal get up to 1,200 or so that you can, you can house, and we're going to fill that up, aren't we? I think ultimately we do fill it up. Um, at the rate of growth in this corridor, let's just call it Washington-Benton County, um, like it or not, there's going to be a certain percentage of folks that are, are not going to abide by the laws of the land. They're going to have to be dealt with. Um, so I think that that number is going to grow just based on sheer population growth. But what happens, Greg, is that when you build a new facility and you finally got space, these small towns especially, whenever they get so frustrated, they've got the same people coming back and forth to their courts that the judge finally puts a 90-day you know, commit on them. Right now, they bring them to us. We, we side them out and say, come back, you know, or, or go to community service or something like that. I think there's going to be an expectation for a time that they're going to want these people locked up. So there will, I think there will be an immediate surge, but I don't think we can ever back off of our aggressiveness in managing our population. We, we began doing it in 07, 08. We've never stopped. And I think that's a process that never goes away because otherwise it's like the field of dreams. You know, you build it and they're going to come and there's no getting around that. You cannot just open the doors and say, bring us everybody and, and uh, we'll take care of it. We've got to, we've still got to work within the system 
to keep our numbers down. And that a lot of that's from a budgetary standpoint. It, is it just the population growth that, 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 that feeds this, or is it some enforcement mechanisms, uh, uh, you know, that, that drive the, the jail population? Well, it's not just any one thing, I don't think. I think population by itself, um, like I said, it's gonna, there's just, you can't get away from it. I mean, people would argue that with me and say there's, there's no verifiable criteria that'll, that gives you the ability to say that. Well, maybe not, but I think that if you just look at the numbers and percentages, it's, our percentage is going to go up. But I think what we've seen in, in northwest Arkansas, Fayetteville, Springdale, even our small towns, their police departments have grown exponentially. And I, I argue this all the time because I know these departments, I know their personnel, and I know that they are top-notch. But part of that, being a top-notch officer, is being effective out on the street, noticing crime, addressing crime, making arrests, doing all the things that you got to do. So our numbers have gone up just by virtue of having more officers on the street, competent officers. Well, when you do that, um, let's see, I may have this off by a few. I don't think it's going to be too bad. This is a for instance. Our circuit court filings on, on felonies was 1,200 more last year than it was in, a, in 17. 1,200. 100 a month more. Well, those are, those are felons. They're coming to jail, right? 100 a month increase. And I think that has a lot to do with, we've got, uh, so I addressed the population growth, competency of our law enforcement. And then I don't think we can turn a blind eye to the, the uptick in our, in our drug trafficking presence of gangs in Northwest Arkansas, probably a, a fairly new phenomenon, just not to the law enforcement, but to the community probably over the last 10 years where it's really come on strong. Um, so when you're dealing with uh, importation of meth, now we're dealing with the opioid crisis and heroin. Um, we don't see those numbers going down. And now we got this new thing on the horizon, this medical marijuana that, in my opinion, is just a segue to legalizing marijuana. What's that going to look like in 10 years? I don't have the answer, but I don't think it's going to make us go backwards. One of the other arguments you might hear uh, from someone who's opposed to a tax increase to, uh, to pay, pay for operations mm-hmm. um, is that, well, you know, that same growth that's driving the need for more uh, beds and, and, and more staff in the jail mm-hmm. uh, is also driving more sales tax revenue more and you already have some uh, some some sales tax revenue going to maintenance and operations so mm-hmm. so why do you need that uh, as well if we grow the jail mm-hmm. that the, the, that growth that that the same the same powers the same factors that are causing the population to grow and the needs in the jail to grow is also making the the revenue grow right uh, yeah but to turn that around as to why do we need the uh, the quarter cent M&O edition. Right. So I'm going to try and keep this brief, but a, a bit of a history lesson. Whenever uh, the powers that be were able to pass the, the tax and the bond issue to build this jail, um, this is what's been told to me by past leaders, was that they, they only asked for a quarter cent M&O because they didn't feel like they could get more. They knew that that was a short-term fix if we were going to totally offset general fund to run the jail, which was their desired outcome. Well, it never covered. It's just that a little of that money had built up early on that we were able to feed off of the surplus until about six or seven years ago. And then we've been operating in a deficit for a time to run the jail to the tune of about 1.5 million a year this year's budget. Okay. So, I think that the M&O has got to be, it, it's got to be the critical part of this whole equation. Um, I would, gosh, and this, this may sound horrible to everybody, but I don't even want the half cent to pass if we don't get the quarter because unfortunately we could build that, but then we couldn't operate it. I couldn't, I couldn't pay the food costs, the medical costs, personnel costs that it takes to run it. It's going to require an infusion uh, because general fund can't cover. It can't even cover the one we're running now. Um, an example, okay, so a quarter cent is a little over $10 million. At least that's what's anticipated by Bobby Hill. Our operating costs are about $15.5 million. 
for the detention center site. All right, so you can do the math. We're we're about five million, a little over five million short. So I aggressively work these contracts, and I've been criticized for this. You know, the federal uh, group that hold uh, federal inmates at our place, they pay like clockwork, guys. It's about one point two million a year thereabouts. Uh, the state of Arkansas, even though they only reimburse us at the rate of $30 a day, that's a big supplement to what our operational costs are. Madison County, their citizens basically turned down the ability to, to build a new jail. Now they're paying us about half a million a year to house them. Well, you know, half a million is a half a million. Without it, that just that would knock that $1.5 to $2 million deficit. Okay, so you see what I'm talking about. We've um, through our contracts and our ability to work with others, we've we've whittled that five million deficit to about one point five. And in reality, at the end of the year, we don't generally go that full one point five because of personnel turnover and carryover. Um, I kind of chased a rabbit. I hope I answered your no, question. Right. <clears throat> but I have heard some of the discussion in all of this that you know, well, if if our jail's overcrowded mm-hmm. and we can't keep our own people in there. Mm-hmm then, you know, stop taking these people from the feds. But what you're saying is, yes, you can do that, but that knocks a hole in the budget to where you're asking the quorum court to fund more of the jail just through general taxes uh, or general revenue, I guess. Um, And and for every dollar you give up, that's that's a dollar that you've got to find someplace else. Well, that's that fiscal responsibility side of my job. It's not just being you know, the, the head law enforcement guy, but I also got to manage this budget to the best of my ability. And when you come in with a known deficit, I've got to be aggressive on the other side to try and figure out ways to offset that. Can you imagine what would be happening in the corn court uh, on an annual basis if I didn't do that and we were five million bucks in the hole? Mm-hmm. Come on. You know. You you appeared before the corn court last year and I think last fall you you got a vote that said you know move forward on 30 million dollars around that uh uh, essentially kind of an affirmation that let's move forward on this Mm -hmm. then come january um i think the quorum court had a replacement of about nine seats eight or nine nine um uh so new faces uh, 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 on a 15 member quorum court that that's a lot and it seems to me this quorum court has been uh, more uh, eager to put a pause, kind of press the pause button on this whole project. Uh, and uh, have you come to an understanding as to why they are not uh, uh, eager to address this? So that's why I really pushed hard toward the end of last year is because I was very familiar with our court even though they were fiscally conservative, they all agreed that we needed to do something. And this seemed to be the best uh, option for us. Um, And when it did not uh, get on the ballot or even approval to to pass that ordinance out, I knew that we had our work cut out for us, just not knowing anybody that was coming on, really. But I knew that Everybody had made commitments, you know, to be elected, and obviously the jail is and the sheriff's office is the big money uh, user in the county government. So I'm sure there were some commitments to really look hard at at our budgets and figure this thing out. And then there there are some that their commitments were no new taxes. You know, let's just face it, call it like it is. So um, that's easy to say when you're not sitting in that chair. Um, and I think the longer that they're in, in uh, office and they truly are trying to do what's best for the citizens of Washington County, they're going to see that our options are very limited uh, as to what we can do. So, Greg, I think that the way I see it, uh, my job is to build relationships because uh, I don't, I think that <laughs> there's been a level of trust for me, you know, based on experience and, and I go to every meeting and I'm very transparent or at least I try to be. And, uh, but these new folks coming in, I don't have any expectation that, that they know me or that, that they believe me. So it's like starting from square one. Uh, very frustrating for us because we've done a lot of work and now they're second guessing, you know, why did you pick this firm? Why did you do that? Well, it was 
it was your predecessors that approved all of this. You know that they gave us direction on what they wanted, and now I'm. What's your direction? I mean, I'm happy to to help however I can. Um, so I know they're trying to do their due diligence, but oftentimes for for us, when a lot of the work's already been done, and then then to start dragging our feet, it just seems like uh, not necessarily a concerted effort, but I don't think there's any high degree of energy being expended to move this along. I think it just, and remember, this is just my opinion, my observation, that um, the old adage that it's just easier to kick that can down the road sometime than it is to take action. So hopefully we can get them, get them off dead center one way or the other, and I will, I'll continue to do my part, and that's just to preach the message that we've got to do something. Nothing is pretty much unacceptable mm-hmm. from my perspective. So what kind of feedback have you gotten from the county judge on this? The judge, from the beginning, has really, um, he's been guardedly supportive, if you will, because he's made his own commitments, you know, for to his party and um, about the no tax issue and all that. So he, he is, from the, begin, uh, from the beginning of this process, or at least his involvement in the beginning, was talking about a regional jail concept and how, how would that look and course he didn't know that I had already done some legwork and and uh, checked with the state and checked with the company that's trying to get the first regional um, prison built down in Drew County and down in that area that um, it's been about a three-year process and they still haven't turned any dirt or gotten any contracts signed it's very complicated um, when you're dealing with multiple governments um, right now Judge Wood and I get along. We get along with Benton County. We get along with Madison County and Carroll County, and it would be, it'd be great. But we're just one election away from getting somebody elected that you know we can't get along with, and it just puts everything upside down. So, from my perspective, I think that um, as sheriff, I, if I'm my name's going to be on the dotted line on these lawsuits, I like to have control. I don't think I'm a control freak, but I think that it's. Uh, it's something I need to be in charge of. Uh, I need to have my people tra- trained correctly. I need to make sure that our policies are followed and that we're treating people humanely and we're aggressively trying to make this system work. And we go to a regional system and that's totally out of my control. And, and I know it sounds good, it really sounds good. Very complicated and hard to get on. So he has, uh, as, a, as the gentleman that he is, he has kind of taken a non-committal seat in this thing. He's not been outwardly opposed um, I think that um, he'll support whatever the court does and his, he supports me as a friend and, uh, and a colleague so uh, that's my best take on what his stance is okay. um, let's talk for a few minutes about some of the different ideas that are floating around that um, have really kind of cropped up lately about why we don't need a jail expansion or how we can avoid a jail expansion um, and a lot of those ideas have been brought to the quorum court. Um, uh, some of it has been kind of put into the category of what I guess you would call bail reform. Um, and I, I had a conversation with uh, Judge uh, Mark Lindsay uh, the other day, and he, uh, he referred to that as, as perhaps a little naive, um, uh, where people feel like, you know, there's a... Uh, great opportunity to reduce our jail population by essentially not uh, having people in the jail with high bonds that they are only in there because they have high bonds Mm -hmm. Uh, and and we should be able to release them on their own recognizance and they'll and they'll show up at court Uh, that seems to be the idea behind it Uh, uh, judge Lindsay uh, said based on experience that he a lot of these people just won't show up to court, and uh, the failure to appears just throw a cog and uh, a wrench into the the whole machinery of the judicial system, uh, uh, because the whole system gets ready for that person to appear, and then they're not there, and it just slows everything down. Mm-hmm. Um, help me, Donna. You've you've been there when you've heard some of these folks talk about bail reform and and adjusting to that why is that not an answer well i think that i don't think you can paint with a, a broad brush on any of this uh criminal justice system i mean that's just one segment now 
to say that everybody that's sitting in jail is poor and they can't afford bond, that's not true. Um, you remember the 200 that I talked about that we're releasing on a, a mm-hmm. monthly basis? A, a lot of those are the people that they're talking about in a normal setting where they were just languishing in jail. They would be the targets of people that they would want released. But we're now down to about 2%, maybe less, of our daily jail population are misdemeanors or are actually eligible uh, to go out the door. And the reason they're not, um, let me back up, whenever they look at the daily census and they say, well, what about this one? You know, it's a, it's just a, it's a misdemeanor, you know, or it's a low-end felon. Well, okay, I agree. But why is the bond set so high? Well, let's look at their history. Let's find out, did they come to court last time? Do they have a tendency for violence? Even though they're not arrested for a violent case now, have they done it before? So we internally are going through and making sure that they meet the criteria for early release, release without bond. And when we determine they are, we're sending at least once a week and sometimes twice a week, we're sending a list of these felons to the prosecutor's office to say, to the best of our estimation, this list of folks are eligible for felony sites. So we're already doing a lot a, of this. Just a cita- releasing on citation. Yeah, give them a court date and get them out of here, you know. Okay. And uh, so we've been doing that for a while, and, and this is nothing new. You know, it's a, it's a, now it is fairly new national trend to do this. I think they're like Pew or somebody of that nature are putting up money, basically a fund, if you will, to come in and uh, sign off on these folks and then guarantee their appearance. Uh, and I guess it it works in, in some urban settings. Uh, they keep throwing out Houston and some of these places, but whether it does or not, I don't know. I know personally, nothing against Houston, but I don't want to live in Houston, <laughs> you know, and I can't afford to live in gated communities, you know, to where everything's hunky-dory. So I know their crime rate's pretty significant. Whether this is why, I don't know. Um. One of the other things mentioned, ankle monitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, why can't more people be released on that kind of monitoring uh, so that the jail's not that big an issue? Well, here again, the people that would be eligible for that are of that 200 that I'm already releasing. I mean, I guess we could stop that process, and then the county could expend however many more hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of dollars to implement an ankle monitoring system. Uh, I don't know. I mean, because that group just keeps throwing out things that we're already addressing. Maybe not the way that they see it should be addressed, but otherwise, why would... I'm 1.5 million upside down on my budget. How much more am I willing to go upside down to pay for ankle monitors? Mm -hmm. We already provide that service, you know, to where they can they can get out on ankle monitor. They have to pay it. And where we utilize primarily the ankle monitoring system where the county foots the bill are severe medical cases where we're kind of on the hook to spend a lot of money on folks. Uh, we work with the prosecutor's office and the courts and basically convince them that we need to allow these folks to go, and we'll pay that. But I am not in a position, Greg, from a physically responsible standpoint to <laughs> – go to the court and say, hey, we're $1.5 million uh, in deficit, but I need another 500000 to operate a, or a million to operate an ankle monitoring system when I'm already releasing these people. And I think the, I think the wis- conventional wisdom of all that is, is, you know, rather than spend $38 million, mm-hmm. you know, let's do an ankle monitor program so that we're not spending $38 million. Um, but you're suggesting that, even if it's $2 million or $1 million, that's that's money that we don't have. Well, it's that, but it's also the people that would be eligible I'm already releasing. Hmm. Um, the other side of that is they think from a fiscal standpoint, if, if you're spending what the bean counters will tell us, it's $62 a day or thereabouts, you know, to house a, a, a detainee. Well, if you're only spending $30 a day on Anchor man, you're money ahead. Well... I don't, I don't know if you can figure in depreciation on the building, utilities, and all that kind of stuff. But what we really save when somebody would be on that kind of a program is a meal, three meals a day, and potential medical stuff. I've still got to have 
the same amount of employees on the deck if I've got 400 detainees or I've got 700 detainees. The same amount of employees. They've got to cover. They've got to do all the, the business that they do. So are there real savings in, in doing uh, spending $30 a day as opposed to just having them in jail and, and uh, paying their debt to society? I, I don't think so, but I know I'm a minority when it comes to that. That so you've used, you've referred to people being eligible. Okay. Um, you know, is that an eligibility that that you decide, or are we talking about people, you know, violent people versus nonviolent? Uh, what 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 makes these people eligible for these or ineligible? It's a good question, and I, like I said, I do have a a, a set of. Uh, employees that basically go over our roster on a daily basis to determine who's who's in who's new in what are their charges and if just on their charge if if it if it comes up that they're they should be eligible then they pull them aside and they'll get they'll get this stack of of uh, uh, detainees and then they'll go over them with a fine-tooth comb they'll not only look at that charge but they'll look at history you know if they're a if if they're a nonviolent offender basically a nuisance crime um, where they're unlikely to reoffend while they're out, we're going to kick them. They're going out. Um, if they're a low-end felon, no history of violence, uh, no history of failure to appear, then we're going to put them in that stack that we're going to approach the courts and uh, the prosecutor's office and say, hey, do you agree that we, need, we can let these folks go? So we have a process in place. But it's not merely based on that that charge on the booking sheet. It's it's that plus what's their history. What are the odds that they're going to come back to court? If it's a good a good odds, uh, it's not that we're necessarily rolling the dice, but it's an educated um, guess that they're going to come back. So you feel like that we're at the point in terms of this eligibility that if you liberalized that to some extent, that you're talking about releasing people that are dangerous to our community yeah. or, or or who in the case of the failure to appear just yeah we'll never see again yeah i mean it's those two two components because to liber to further liberalize what we're doing it would take in those two components that that automatically 99 percent of the time would preclude them from eligibility to be kicked out here again i've got family in northwest arkansas and there are certain people that left to their own devices are not going to do right. I, I, I'm sorry. And I know that that flies in the face of a lot of people that, that think everybody's inherently good. Um, I would argue the other way um, that, you know, in absence of laws and, and discipline that a lot of people aren't going to do right. And um, it, we've, we've got to stand in the gap. Um, and I'm sorry if, if a lot of people disagree with me, but that's my job. You know, my job is to, uh, is, is to protect and serve and to lead a group of people that are trying to do that every day. And, and that I just think that's the truth. So let's uh, touch on another uh, proposal that we've heard as far as getting people out of the jail, and that's the 287G program. I'm sorry, what's that? Uh, two, <laughs> 287G. <laughs> never, uh, never heard I, of I think yeah. you're familiar with that. Uh, that, for, for our listeners, uh, uh, that is a program by which... Uh, 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 the local law enforcement uh, does help with our national uh, immigration uh, laws and, and enforcing those. Uh, uh, you can explain that better than I can, I'm sure. But uh, certainly the suggestion has been that if we, if we have a jail that's overcrowded, why do we have a sheriff who is participating in this federal program that is, uh, uh, that is uh, in some people's mind, racist, but uh, but, and also in the context of this discussion, is putting people in jail and keeping people in jail, and uh, I'll let you dive into that where right. you feel like you want to. Well, before I get into the the history lesson, let's look at the facts as far as the numbers. We average about two or three on any given day that have a detainer uh, placed on them by immigration. Okay, so. I'll let you decide if that's impacting our overcrowding. Uh, I don't think it is. Um, 
So early on in my administration, there was a uh, kind of a furor in in uh, Northwest Arkansas, and it was somebody's got to do something about this immigration issue at the local level because they're taking our jobs and they're doing. And I'm like, I don't know whether I agree with that whole thing, but I, I knew that I needed to work on it and figure something out. And and along about that time, uh, you know, oh six oh seven, I became aware of the two eighty seven G program. And uh, back then, it was three-pronged, okay? There was, there was a task force model that we could assign, um, basically, investigators to work with hand-in-hand uh, -hand with immigration and a task force concept where they were trying to identify really bad people. You know, they were you know, major drug dealers, human traffickers, gangbangers, whatever you want to talk about. They would be trained and work in concert with them. We did that, by the way. There was another uh, option, and that was to cross-train your enforcement folks across the board to help immigration do their jobs out in the field. And that, that would look like uh, patrolmen stopping cars and having the ability to run background information to determine on the scene whether somebody was most likely here illegally. I didn't do that. I mean, I just saw that that was wrought with problems from the beginning. I just thought, you know, with racial profiling, any of that kind of non that stuff, I just didn't want to be involved. And, um, but I think Spring Dillon Rogers did do that in Benton County, I think. But it didn't last long. I mean, it was exactly what we predicted. It was, it was just destined to be horrible. Um, so that was the second prong. Then the third was the detention model, which we chose to do. Um, during President Obama's tenure, uh, he tried to really uh, reduce 287G and immigration efforts. And one of the, one of the first things that um, went down the tubes, and probably rightly so, was that enforcement uh, side of things where patrolmen were out doing that. As far as I know, there, there's nobody doing that anywhere. I could be wrong. Um, so, then, what, so what is the, you mentioned detention models. So yeah. Describe that. That's what we do. That, that is what we do, but what I wanted to tell you was that even under under the Obama administration, they did away with even the task force model, which I thought was a real mistake because that was impactful. You know, you were getting really bad people. And then the detention model, which we chose to do and we continue to do today, and that, that is this in a nutshell. Let's just say we book in 13,000 people a year. Every person that's booked into our facility, they answer the same questionnaire. Same list of questions, 30 or 40 questions. And throughout that uh, questionnaire, there may be three or four that um, have to deal with uh, country of birth, um, are you a citizen of the United States, things of that nature. And if those questions are answered in a certain way, they're automatically pulled aside. And uh, we have a couple guys that are cross-trained with immigration to have access uh, to training, first of all, uh, to be able to determine some of this stuff, and then to give them access to uh, a limited version of the immigration computer system. What they do at that point, um, when, they, when they determine that uh, of the 13,000 people booked in a year, but on a daily basis, let's just say that one or two people come through that, that might meet that criteria, they will then pull that person out, uh, do a in-person interview, try and determine to the best of their ability if they are, in fact, here legally or not. If they're able to make that determination that they, to the best of their ability, they believe that they are here as an undocumented or here illegally, the process at our level stops and they hand off to immigration and say, this is what we think, but it's yours. Because we're not uh, able to put a detainer on anybody. Uh, we just provide information. Immigration will review, do some further follow-up, and then they'll make a determination if, if, if that's the case. The whole thought press process in my mind for participating in this is, is this. If, in fact, uh, a certain group of people are in our country as undocumented or illegal, whatever terminology you want to use, I prefer illegally, and they then choose to break the laws of the land and they end up in our facility, then we are only 
identifying, getting involved with people that are here illegally but also can't abide by the laws of the land. They've committed a crime. No matter what it is, they've come through the doors of our place and um, we're handing them off to immigration. We're helping uh, basically our country do um, a service that I think is, is needed. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question mm -hmm. or not, but to me it's, it's, the, best, it's the best case scenario. Our, our program, Greg, uh, was basically identified through the years, through the Obama administration on into Trump, and, and in the future I hope as a model program in that they would refer to ours as the, the way to do things. Do it right, you know, not with hidden agendas. You just, you're, you're, you're talking to everybody that comes through there and if they answer certain questions then you're delving into them a little bit further. I think it's a community service that's needed. So if, just, just to be clear, huh? uh, with only two or three people a day on the roster, it's real. It does not appear that it's going to have a great impact if you stop doing two two eighty seven G. But what I, as I'm what I hear what I'm hearing you say is that what all what would also happen is that you're not asking those questions of anyone, and if so, if someone is an undocumented person and then come into the jail, you're not going to ask any questions about it. You're not going to know that, and and there there won't be any referral to from your department to to the program us. would be. Uh, ineffective because it wouldn't be in existence. But mm -hmm. this would refer back to what I said earlier in that um, just recently the PIO for the nation, the immigration PIO, uh, public information officer, made a statement that I've touted all along to folks that are so anti-involvement in the 287G program. That is this. He said in absence of a 287G program, if you've had one and, and all of a sudden you don't, you're not going to see a lessening of immigration presence. You're going to see an increase, an uptick, because they no longer have the relationship and the working partnership with local uh, law enforcement um, to help do that, that front-end identification work. So they'll be basically in the jails uh, physically, and they'll be out on the street doing a lot more of this uh, workplace enforcement type stuff and, and other enforcement issues. So... To me, it's kind of a compromise across the board in that we are conducting a vital uh, law enforcement partnership, a needed service, all the while sitting at the table with our, with our partners in immigration to help dictate outcomes. Now, how are we going to participate? How, how does this look in our community? You know, I mean, at least I have a voice. Whereas in absence of participation in a task force concept, I have no voice. It's basically they, they would dictate everything that we do. And I don't think that's healthy. I don't. My so are, are you 100% convinced? I mean, obviously, if, 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 we, if we have an enforcement type of mechanism like this program, mm -hmm. um, just based on the demographics of our community, you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're likely to see uh, more Latino folks uh I guess caught by that uh, if they're here uh, illegally, um, uh, maybe some Marshallese, you know, may, just whatever the dynamic is. But are you convinced that that this program is is going to identify, you know, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Swedish guy mm -hmm. who overstayed his visa mm -hmm. just as much as it, it catches the guy uh, who is here working from Mexico? Uh, you know, trying to support a family. Yes, I am. And uh, I think it'll prove out. I don't know if you've had access to our monthly report. We started publishing uh, much to the chagrin of immigration, but I finally had to start uh, kind of answering back to all the, I don't want to say lies, but basically information that was inaccurate that, um, that the people we were coming in contact with, it wasn't the people that are turning ride on a red light without coming fully stopped, you know, and we were looking for ways to arrest. That's not the case. Um, if you look at the reports, let's just say on an average month there, I'm, I'm just going to say 50 contacts out of 12 or 1300 uh, actual bookends that would fall under the initial criteria. Then of that 50, less than 
20 on average are going to be ones that were forwarded for detainers and then a smaller percentage actually had detainers put on them. But when you look at the demographics that are listed, obviously uh, Latino are generally going to be leading the pack because of the, the population density in our, uh, as opposed to uh, someone of German citizenship or something, but, and Marshallese as well. But then as you look down, there's samplings almost from all over the world, you know, that are, that are because it's a blind test. It's the same questions of every person that's booked in. So um, if, if there ever comes an issue with racial profiling, it's not in the detention center. It might come up on the street in one of the arresting agencies, but I'm confident of our law enforcement, Northwest Oregon, that is just not happening. And Greg, even when they talk about well, what about a DWI? You know, that's a misdemeanor. Is that worthy of deportation? Well, <clears throat> what if the officer hadn't stopped them on that DWI and they'd gone another mile down the road and they crossed the center line and, and killed a family? I mean, would, would they then be eligible for deportation in your, in your mind? Or how about the arrest was for DWI, but what we found out through this was that they had reentered the United States on three occasions and prior to this they had spent time in the pen because nobody checked their citizenship and they had molested a child or they had done something like that. Are they then? Is that somebody? You know, I, I don't get to pick and choose. I think this is the best option uh, for the citizens of Washington County and, and uh, it works. I mean, when you look at our numbers and you look at the type of people that are actually having detainers placed on them, it's a good system. So, of all of those different things we've talked about that, mm-hmm. that have been discussed with the idea that we're going to reduce the population of the, of the, of the jail to the point that we don't have to build a, uh, an addition to the jail, mm-hmm. how many of those are within the power of the sheriff of Washington County and the quorum court of Washington County to actually implement? Well, things like you mentioned, the ankle monitoring, obviously... If we had money and money was no object, that's something that we could work on. Um, I'm already doing community service. I'm doing alternatives to sentencing within my guidelines. I'm, I'm very aggressive in all of this. Um, I, I think the majority of it lands squarely in the circuit courts, the district courts, with our prosecutors and the public defenders. And I will tell you, uh, whenever our, uh, our pretrial numbers got so high, uh, two years ago internally we identified this issue and, and it was like totally out of our control and it's like and these, these, are, these are people who are in your jail who are accused of a crime but they have not been tried and found guilty yeah, or, or I, not guilty yet, right, right I'm sorry I didn't no, that's okay I just want to be um, sure that, that is exact, and they're felons for the most part Okay, and uh, almost 100% so on my own I went to each of our um, circuit judges, and I said, "I'm not pointing fingers. I just, I'm here again. I'm that that voice crying out in the wilderness. Here's the problem, and uh, it's it's going to get really bad if we don't do something." And, and each of the judges were very kind, and they said, "We'll do whatever we can to help," you know. And but all, always, it's it's like, well, maybe if this other group were doing something more or this, and I'm just. And so we went. I went from the judges to the prosecutor. I said, here, I explained the problem again. Well, you know, if it's, if the public defender would stop asking for continuances, you know, we're not asking for continuances. And then, and so then I, I actually met with the, on a couple occasions, phone conferences with the, uh, whatever his title is, the public defender director or something for the state and explained what had been told to me. And a lot of that was they're not, they're the first time that they're seeing their potential client from our jail is 30 days after they've been arrested when they come to their arraignment because they don't want to come to the jail because it's inconvenient or it takes too long. And, and I'm like, guys, we got, <clears throat> we got a multifaceted problem here. That there's a lot of entities involved and they're basically all out of my control, but I've got to make you aware of this. So this was a year and a half, two years ago, I had this conversation. Well, it's, it's kind of ratcheted up now, especially with the, the group that's been in front of the quorum court talking about this. And uh, I know that we're going to meet. Judge Zimmerman has called for a meeting in May that all the players will come together and see if we can uh, come up with some different strategy and and different things. But 
back to your question, when it comes down to what I can do, it's uh, those two those simple things. But a lot of it is to be the the notif the notification system and the facilitator to try and get people to talk yeah. and uh, to to look at different ways of doing there, it. There's just so many components of this because even in my conversation with the judge Lindsay judge Lindsay the other day, um, you know. He, he talked about continuances and, and how that <clears throat> keeps people in jail. And, but, you know, he's working with the crime lab, you know, that's, that's way behind on getting things to him. He's dealing with mental health uh, or the mental evaluations that have, you know, taken months and months to, to happen. And, and uh, he, in his view, the prosecutors and the public defender's office are uh, overworked underpaid you know i think is the way he put it and so there's a, a lot of components to this within the judicial system that that doesn't allow for a quick resolution of a lot of these cases that are sitting down have people sitting down in your jail so um where where do we stand right now well, i mean what's what's next <laughs> um one of the things you haven't brought up is the uh the CSUs, the crisis stabilization right, units, right. and a lot of people are touting that as something that's going to fix a huge segment of our population. Hey, I hope I'm pleasantly surprised on that. I've been I've been on board with this thing from day one, but not because it's going to reduce our population, just because it's the right thing to do. You know, and this is where it gives. I'm sorry. No, no it's okay. I'm just. This is uh, uh, the unit that's being put in the former juvenile detention center. Yes. That is. Um, a place where law enforcement can take people who are in a in an acute mental health situation that you guys have run across or other law enforcement agencies have run across where jail's not the best place for them yeah. where they need treatment more than they need incarceration yeah and prior to this we had no other option you know it was just basically a lot of these guys were getting a lot of our homeless homeless population you know is growing and there's really there were no options out there other than to bring them to jail uh, for their safety and the safety of others, and it was just the option. Um, so the CSU is is once our deputies and our officers are trained in a four county catchment area, then they'll have the ability, uh, if all the criteria is met, you know, like it's not such an egregious offense that they have to be charged and jailed, that it's a nuisance crime, then they can have a conversation with the person and hey, wouldn't you rather get treatment than go to jail and get that person involved in the conversation and then take the person to the CSU where they can get hands-on treatment for up to 72 hours and then a process in place to hand them off to a community mental health group. And hopefully, man, it's going to be so significant that it's going to change lives. But when we're talking about sheer numbers, Greg, it's just, uh, um, I don't know. I mean, it's just not going to be a huge number. Manpower intensive in our facilities, for sure. You know, it takes a lot to, to manage somebody that's acutely mentally ill. But the majority of the time, they've got subsequent charges that we can't, they, they may not even be eligible to go to the CSU. So I'm anxious for it to open. I, I think you know this, but I was on the governor's uh, commission right. that, that came up with the idea of this. I've been a champion from day one. Uh, we were left out of the initial pilot program. You know, we had to call down and write letters and really get on them, and and uh, they finally approved us. You know, and then we just haven't been able to seem to get anything going. But now I'm excited. You know, it's going to open up in the next month or so. But we'll, even, we'll even see what at kind a, of impact, even at a max, that's 16 beds. 16 beds. Yeah. Four counties. Yeah. So uh, they're not not all going to be filled by our people. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. What else do we need to know before we let you go? Um. I, I just believe in my heart of hearts based on experience and uh, just daily observation of what's going on. We're going to have to do something as far as expansion, growth. Now, is there room to have community involvement in some of these programs? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's great, but we've got to have the space to put them to begin with. I've got to expand our booking area. We're already overrun. If we're talking about another 5,000 just with Springdale coming through the doors, we're going to be overwhelmed day one. So that's got to happen. We've got to expand our, our low-end misdemeanor or nonviolent barracks type deal. And then obviously we're going to have to build on the barracks. So I will continue 
preaching this message, now how it looks at the end, if I can ever get it out of committee, it may look different as far as the uh, ballot issues. I've really got to do my due diligence and work with my new committee members to figure out from their perspective, what, what are their expectations of me? Um, I, was, I was acting prior to this based on my old court. Now it's a new ball game and I'm gonna do the best I can to make that determination just to get out of, because you understand how this works, right? It's got to get out of committee before it can get to the full quorum court. And the full quorum court's got to approve it to get on a ballot issue. So it's a, I can't even get it out of committee right now. So that's up to me though. That's on me. I'll, uh, I'll work, I'll work tirelessly until we get something done. Okay. Well, we sure appreciate you spending time with us today to explain all of that from your perspective and um, good luck with it. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Thanks, Sheriff. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. If you want to get more involved in the jail discussions, check out the Washington County Government website, and we're going to include a uh, link to that in our notes with this podcast. Also, as always, we encourage you to subscribe to the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette because Tom Sissom, our county government reporter, is often at the courthouse covering these issues. And we're going to include a link to those uh, to our website as well. Uh, thank you for listening to Speaking of Arkansas today. Be sure to check out all of our podcasts at nwaonline.com podcast. Take care. <music>